Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I'm just so excited today because for the first time I get to interview my friend Mo Thomas. And Mo and I have been friends on Facebook for a while, quite a while. We interact there, but I've never seen him in person or got to talk to him uh, before. And I've been looking forward to this for so long. Mo's just a great guy. He's He's been a crash safety engineer for 30 years with both GM and now with Ford. He played and coached basketball and tennis, taught piano lessons, tutored college math. He, he speaks of quantum science often. He's a lover of children's literature. Dr. Seuss is his favorite author, and The Little Prince is his favorite book, a couple of my favorite too, and he's about to publish his own book called Into the Abyss. So welcome, my friend Mo. Such an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And I want to just start out by reading a few paragraphs from uh, you sent me. You kindly sent me the uh, rough draft beginning of your book, which I, man, I'm ready to dive into. I wish it was all done. But I want to uh, read a few paragraphs that you wrote, and then uh, then we'll just talk about those. That's great. Thank you. All right. You say, I do know for certain, and I've become fully persuaded that God is pure love and everything else we know about their character aligns with this love. My internal portraits of God have become far more beautiful as a result. Though I'm well aware that God exists light years beyond my and our most eloquent concepts about God, or maybe God doesn't exist at all as we've typically thought, and instead is the ultimate reality by which all things come into existence. You write, it took me most of my life to realize that God isn't a bottled genie that promises to take away all of our pain and suffering, a, a cosmic magician conjuring a lavish life of smooth sailing the whole way home. In fact, I've struggled and still do with the fear, doubt, depression, and apathy. Though I'm sometimes too overwhelmed to think straight through this excruciating process, I finally arrived at a point where I felt the freedom to admit my pain and weakness, with no need to pretend that I had it all together. In the midst of the joy and chaos and sometimes unspeakable agony of everyday existence, I have tasted of an intoxicating love I cannot escape or unsee. This love has become my assurance and my hope, a light that shines steady amidst the shadows that float in and out of my inner being, a tender compassion that suffers with me and with all who bear their image. Take heart, dear friend. God does not leave us to wander or suffer alone. Their spirit is overjoyed with us as we embark on our journey because she sees that it's leading us towards the discovery of our true self. Within the chaos lies the ultimate beauty that our soul has been seeking. I've come to view this sometimes painful process as a burning away of all that is not Christ, simplifying down to the bare essentials, then reconstructing our perspectives on the foundation of God's beautiful character. In the last paragraph here, 
And what a true, tender, and trustworthy guide we've been given for this burning away. One who comes to us is the all-consuming fire of holy love. The journey into the unknown is worth it, for in the darkness, God is waiting, arms wide open, eyes shining with anticipation. Wow, those are wonderful words and encouraging words, and what, what a great start to your book, Into the Abyss, and where you're going from there. So share with us, Mo, whatever's on your heart, what you'd like for people to know and hear about your journey and what the Holy Spirit's revealing to you today. Sure. You know, that intro, just briefly, it took a long time to get to that place. So even though it may be a year's worth of of writing what'll be published, it's certainly, you know, 20, 30 years in the making because there was a lot of pain in getting to that place and a necessary pain in my opinion, because I was a a stubborn, self-righteous, very religious guy that was certain that my belief system was the correct one. And I was convinced I had the answer um, and, and really the box into which God fit. So this, this journey of realizing there was no box big enough expansive enough to contain the God of the cosmos. And yet he, they invite us into that mystery, not at a distance, but arms wide open, like, like you just read. And, you know, one of the fundamental shifts very early on in this, um, we'll call it a D or reconstruction was this idea of our separateness, the foundation of separateness in the holy God versus these unworthy, unrighteous creatures that they had made supposedly in their image. But yet, you know, we were off at a distance and had to find our way back to God. And this gap, this unbelievably large chasm that we had to cross was just foreboding and fear-inducing. And that was used as coercion to sort of get us back into favor. So one of the major shifts early on was the foundation back in passages like Colossians 1, where we find sort of the anchor point to this theology that all of creation was created in Christ. And not only created back at the origin, the source and the origin, but now is held together and sustained in Christ. So why have we spent so much of our emphasis on our separateness when God all through the scriptures, including the very beginning point, and then all the way through as you track with the story, they're trying to remind us of our union. So we have put in an artificial separation and we've believed it. Certainly in our perception, there is a separation, but not in reality. So as I started tracking through from that perspective, God is our source, our origin, and he is our sustainer in which we find our life and our freedom and our identity, our true self. Starting from that point, boy, the story reads so much differently, so different. And boy, that has just changed so much in the way that I see God, I see other people, and perhaps more importantly, the way I see myself as I look in the mirror. Again, not a short journey, and it wasn't a snap of the fingers, but all of those necessary things to break through my own stubbornness, I think were absolutely necessary. 
Well, they are. They do seem to be necessary. It's a similar story to mine. And I would guess, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I would guess you just didn't one day sit down in the midst of religion and church involvement and go, oh, I wonder if all this is wrong. Maybe I'll start searching. What happened in your life that led you to start on this journey? Boy, there is a lot of different factors that all came together in a series of events, and I'll call them minor earthquakes that led to a large earthquake around January of 2006 timeframe, where circumstances and things in my life that I had come to rely on for uh, security, a sense of uh, safety, identity, those things started to fall out from under me. They started to be ripped out from under me. So all those things that were my foundation weren't anymore. All of a sudden, I didn't have those. Mm-hmm. And I started questioning and I got really frustrated with God, who I thought had promised that if you did all the right things, he was going to work everything out, uh, right? That was Deuteronomy, uh, Gerizim and, and uh, Ebal, the mountains, the blessings on one, the curses on the other. Well, if you did all the right things, you're supposed to be in the middle of God's blessings. And that wasn't happening. So I basically set all that aside and started in on this journey of questions. I will say there's probably one question that got me thinking in a different direction. And that was a friend. We had a group of guys. We got together for breakfast every Friday morning, 5 a.m. And uh, his daughter had asked him a question. And he shared it with us. He didn't think much of it, but I couldn't get rid of it. It was like a splinter in my mind. And I just kept going over and over it. And his daughter's question was, if God at the end of the day is going to send a majority of those made in his image to hell, this eternal torture chamber, how are we ever going to enjoy heaven? And I thought, yikes, those that I love. I'm aware somehow that they're being tortured and God is the one sustaining that. How is it possible that I now am going to enjoy worshiping the same deity? And and one thing led to another, a lot of dominoes in a row. When one started to fall, you know, 15 of them started to fall in short succession afterwards. So that that question really was one of the main ones that really got me thinking in a new direction, maybe reframe perspective. So did you talk about that question with your Friday morning breakfast group after that? A little bit. You know, tried to process some of that, but most of them, like me, had grown up in a, a very fundamentalist evangelical mindset. And and I love them. They're still my dear friends, but just not at a place to ask those questions or, you know, let God off the hook. They didn't want a cheap, easy grace. And I had grown up that way also, and I didn't want a cheap, easy grace either. And so it was rather reluctantly that I started asking these questions. I've always been a questioner, but I wanted my questions to be reverent. (laughs) I didn't want God to look at me as a rebel, a controversial kind of a follower. I wanted him to see my heart was submissive and that I I really did want uh, to be on the inside of his will, on the inside of his favor. And so on this journey, starting with that question, and I talk a lot about this in the book, it was really my love for science 
that God used to lay a trail of breadcrumbs, scientific breadcrumbs in the creation, mainly in the stars, in the cosmos, that as I tracked them, I saw this trail of breadcrumbs leading to a starting place before the creation where we were joined intricately with God. That was our starting place. So those questions now had a different starting point. We were starting from a place of being inside of the Christ singularity. And that's a black hole term that I explain. But essentially, all that we know essentially started as a point. And that point, Paul calls that our in-Christness. Science calls it the singularity. That's our origin. That's where we were born, let's say. Uh, We find our source and our identity there and our connection, our union with Christ at that beginning point. Mm. So from that place, now you start tracking. Those questions have a very different flavor to them. When you ask about heaven and hell, you have to align that with what we know about God's beautiful character. You can't separate those, those two things. Essentially, as followers of God, our deepest desire is to build all of our theology on the beauty of his character. Anything else has to go. Anything else, we have to let Christ burn those distortions and and counterfeits away. And that was difficult for someone like me, a skeptic, an engineer who wanted to do all the right things to not just ask the questions, but to follow the trail of breadcrumbs, regardless of where they led, trusting that the spirit would not guide me into deeper counterfeit, that the spirit has been given to guide us into truth. Boy, that trust is so important. You talk about questions, Mo, and I was uh, in a similar religious paradigm as you were, and questions were not to be asked, (laughs) even though Jesus asked questions all the time in his relationships with people. But I found, as you have, that God loves questions, and I found God still loves to ask questions. And when I was going through this process of realizing there's no possible way that God could have thought of or created or sustained hell, I was thinking about that, and I just heard him ask me, he said, Paul, the real question is, why would you or anyone want somebody to suffer eternal conscious torment? He said, I never wanted that. It's never entered my mind. Why would you want that? Ouch. And <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I had to, uh, well, uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, how about those royals? How about the Yankees? Yes. How about the- <laughs> well, now, now it turns from an abstract theology where you're discussing something at a distance, and now it's personal. Now you're talking about your friends and your family members. And their fate, right? Those that may not have said all the right things or done all the right things. Now all the weight is on them and what God's going to do to them if they don't do all the right things. And that's a painful thought stream to walk down. Oh, it is. I have a dear friend who is a pastor. I'm here in the town where I live and a wonderful guy. And uh, we have a great relationship, but we were spending quite a bit of time together one time. And finally, he, he got to the point where he said, well, I've come to the point where I agree with you that we don't have to, in his terms, accept Christ and get saved in this life. 
I've come to realize that that God will continue to extend that invitation into the next life. But he says there's got to be an end point. There's got to be a point where God said, well, nope, we can't go any further. And I asked him, I said, well, why? Long pause, and finally he said, well, just because. (laughs) (laughs) And that's and, as good as answer yeah. as any. I got to thinking about that question for myself. And why? Well, because we as humans think that's the way God should be. We think there's got to be a point where his never-ending love ends. <laughs> but thank God there's not. And gosh, Mo, when the Trinity reveals that to you and you know it and you see it, it takes all the pressure off. It just changes everything, doesn't it? And there's a deeper knowing than going through a series of checkboxes. And I can speak to this as an engineer. In your belief system, you can go through your proofs and go research your history and and kind of see where the evidence takes you. But that's different than the inner spirit knowing and shining light on what is true, consistent with the character of Abba that Jesus came to reveal. And that is, regardless of your view of hell, let's not try to dismiss it because that might be too much of a line in the sand. Whatever hell is, it's a burning away of all that's not true, all that's not of Christ. So Orthodox Christianity, back in its conception, framed hell as the all-consuming fire of God's love and torment to those whose hearts were hardened and heaven to those whose hearts were soft. Wax and clay respond differently to the sun. One gets hard, one softens. That seems to be a fair picture, at least a starting point to understand there is no shadow of turning in God's character. It's our response to that. And how many times, at least several dozen, I think there are 22 in one of the Psalms, his mercy endures forever. His mercy doesn't end at death. It doesn't end at some point. It's part of who God is. The invitation to be drawn into their beautiful life has started before the creation The fact of it has been established, but our awareness of it, they long for us to become aware of what's true Mm -hmm. so that we can experience it. The tangible experience of it is what allows us to walk the way that Jesus showed us, animated animated by their spirit, fully trusting in Abba. So whatever our concepts of the afterlife are, which no one knows for certain. Yeah. Right. We haven't been there. It has, to, it, it has to align with the beauty of their character. So that's a yeah. good starting point to frame it. That's a great starting point. And, you know, sometimes, well, oftentimes people say, well, you know, Jesus taught so much about hell. And I agree. I, he taught one time about hell just graphically. And that was in the story of the prodigal son, the older brother who didn't want the father to be as good as he turned out to be, was in a hell of his own making, was so mad he wouldn't go into the party, yet the father came out, stayed with him, and that's where the story ends. That's What a cliffhanger that is. Yeah, and to me, that's what hell is, being so angry with God, being better than you want him to be, that it just, but he just, he said, okay, I'll 
I'll stay here with you. Uh, we, you know, we'll work through this together. And at some point in time, we'll go in and enjoy the party. Imagine that older brother fuming on the outside while this tremendous party is happening. And the father comes and says, you know, everything I've ever had is yours. And he came away from the party to continue reminding this older brother that it's always been true. You can sit fuming on the outside if you'd like, but the party's yours to enjoy. Yeah. I think that's the way it's always been. The, the leaders at the time thought that the story was about the younger brother, but really he, he centralized and left hanging the uh, state of the older brother, which probably matched more of his audience at the time. Yeah. Mo, I knew this would happen. Our time has flown by so <laughs> quickly. It has gone fast. Yeah. We're going to wrap up in a minute, and then uh, we'll do another recording, which people will hear a week later. Tell us how people can connect with you and tell us a little bit more about your book and when you hope it'll come out. Sure. Sounds great. The book is titled Into the Abyss. Its central feature is a mystical experience that I had where God took me through a black hole. And that sounds very cosmic and scientific sounding, but I, I hope I explain that in a way that non-science folks can grasp the weight of what happened because it, it turned into something so very beautiful. I'd love to connect with folks, I'm a regular on Facebook. If you send me a message in Facebook Messenger, I would gladly send a complimentary sample of the intro to the book just to see if it's in line with something that folks might be interested in or have questions about. So probably Facebook is the best way to connect. And obviously, if they contact you, you can put them in touch. I will indeed. And you were kind enough to send me that copy of the, of yes, the beginning of asking. it. Yeah, and I want it to come out soon, <laughs> but uh, but it's something I'll uh, have to look forward to around November or sometime. So, all right. Well, Mo, thanks so much for this edition. Uh, we'll look forward to the next one. And thanks to everybody for being with us today on another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray visiting with my friend Mo Thomas. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.